And you need to be speaking to your children about the Proverbs. So that when little Johnny or little Susie comes in and says, Mom, what is a haughty spirit? You don't say your daddy. <laughs> you have a chance to explain what that is because you've been contemplating it, mulling it over before the Lord, and your youth leaders are giving you the chance to start a conversation. I want you to understand I have been in ministry long enough and was a wicked child. Have been in ministry now and was a wicked child. Bad kids do not simply happen. I don't know where he heard that. Yes, you do. Tell the truth. Yes, you do. I don't know why he does this. Why is he stealing? I bring all the pencils home from work that he could possibly need. I wonder where he got that idea. If you want your children to serve God, it starts with what you do in your home. And children are the best detectors of liars and hypocrites you will ever meet. I was in church with my sister when she was a little girl. I was littler than her. And she noticed that what the pastor said and what was happening in our house did not match. And she wrote him a letter. And if he had not been a homosexual, later exposed in a citywide sting, he might have cared. Children are the best detectors of hypocrisy. You would be surprised the things that they say to youth leaders. Learn the Proverbs. As we teach this morning, young people, are y'all listening, young people? As we teach this morning, our message is called Hunger Satisfied. And I began to think about Snickers when I get hungry because Snickers, it says, satisfies. It says that a Snickers will satisfy you. I personally have eaten multiple Snickers in one day. And still was not fulfilled. So I mixed them into a Dairy Queen blizzard. <laughs> and yet I still was not fulfilled. So while Snickers claims to satisfy, I have found that like a permanent in a woman's hair, you got to do it again. I don't know why we misname things. I don't know why the world puts up with this kind of hypocrisy. It satisfies. Really? Then you ought to sell every person one and then go out of business. <laughs> it seems that we're talking about a temporary satisfaction. This is our topic this morning. Young people, as we preach this morning, we will be preaching out of Deuteronomy 8. Are you listening to me, Judah? Because you have to go home with me at the end of the day. We will be preaching out of Deuteronomy 8. As we teach out of Deuteronomy 8, I will be referencing the Proverbs. You have been reading Proverbs now for 16 days. So what proverb are you on? 16. That is right. means yesterday you covered Proverbs 15. So having covered Proverbs 15 yesterday and 16 today, as we preach from Deuteronomy 8, and I reference Proverbs, you should recognize them. Correct? And I know that your mother and your father have spent a great deal of time reinforcing the messages that our youth leaders are teaching, giving up their Fridays and Saturdays, giving up their study time, having long hours of meetings with the pastor as he talks in hour on hour. I know that you're reinforcing that in your home. So please, young people, try to identify the Proverbs that we're speaking about. It so happens that there are six of you 
that are old enough to be in the service and are not back there, and I happen to have six Snickers bars. They will not satisfy you like the Word of God will satisfy you. But I find chocolate is always a good start. So what I need from you, we have provided for you bulletins. We have provided for you writing utensils. Any child that can list five Proverbs that will come from the 15th chapter and 16th chapter, yesterday's lesson and today's lesson in the privacy of your home that I know mom and dad were reinforcing, and you will hear today from the pulpit, we have a Snickers bar for you. It should not be hard to pick up five because all you have to do is read the Word of God and you will find that it is all interwoven and laced about like a bowl of spaghetti. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live. Why did God give them commands? So that they would live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. God gave a promise that He intended to keep even though generations had gone by because we serve a covenant-keeping God. We serve a God that if He said it to Abel or Abraham, and now ten generations have gone by and we have not seen it, it's worth waiting another. Because if God said it, it will surely be done. We serve a God who said that a nation would be born in a single day, and although 1,800 and some odd years went by, and it looked like it was not possible, in a single day something no one had ever heard of happened, and the nation of Israel was born in a single day for the second time, because they were also birthed when they came through the Red Sea. Our God keeps a promise, even if it requires a resurrection from the dead to do it. He is a covenant-keeping God. Verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His mitzvahs, His commands. He humbled you and tested you. Why? In order to know. We can argue all day long, if you would like, about omniscience. I believe that our God is omniscient. But I believe that He is omniscient in a different way than what is commonly taught. What is commonly taught is He simply possesses all knowledge about everything, past, present, and future, all of the time. It's simply there. I do not believe that. I think He has the means to find out anything that He wants to know at any time. But the Word of God clearly presents Him going down to see if the cry is as bad as what He had heard. It presents him putting people in situations, watching what they do, and says, Now I know that you love me and will obey my commands. Because you have not withheld your son, your one and only son. It presents a God who tests you in order to know what is in your heart. It is an American invention and not a Jewish thought that says, God knows what's in my heart. Despite all of my actions, despite all of the fruit on the tree, he knows what's in my heart. I look like a thorn bush. I feel like a thorn bush. I smell like a thorn bush. And if you touch me, you will bleed because I'm a thorn bush. But inside, I'm an apple tree. 
the word does not present that is true. It does present a dichotomy of natures in you. It does present a war that is in you and that not all of you is of God, but the part that is of God has reconciled the other part is dead. It does present that. So I'll accept that you're an apple tree that is getting rid of its thorns. But I will not accept that what stands before me is a thorn tree with no apples on it and it claims to be an apple tree. You know a tree by its fruit. Friends, you are put in the positions that you are put in to find out what is in your heart so that God may see it, so that you may see it, and so that the genuineness or lack thereof of your faith may be proven. Verse 3 begins the text that we want to cover today. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. If you put these in order, you find out that he humbled Israel. This is that place in life where you find out, hear me young people, that there is a way that seems right unto a man, and the end, it leads to destruction. There has got to be a place in your life where you realize your way is not working for you. You must rid yourself of pride. Because our God teaches us that pride goes before your destruction and a haughty spirit before your fall. There has to be a place in your life where you examine your ways and find out they simply are not working for you. Do you think 400 years of slavery would do that? How many of you don't like your job? Some of you have your bosses in the room. I understand. If your boss could tell the truth. What if your job was without end, day and night? What if your job lasted for generation upon generation and you knew that there was no hope other than that? Would you be ready for a change? Would that be a humbling experience? Every day you stomp straw in the mud. Every day, straw in the mud. You knew this, your kids would never do anything but stomp straw in the mud. And this would go on generation after generation. Would you be ready for a change? I think so. This humbling process provides the way for something. God humbles us, he said. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. When you beat your head against a stone wall over and over and over, it causes you to want something different. Our way has been frustrated. It seems that the proverb says that a laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. So God takes you. He puts you in a situation where He has humbled you to the point that you begin to have an appetite for something else. You begin to hunger for a way that was not the way you were going. A higher way. A better way. A safer, more sure way. What is your appetite for, saints? Because it says a lot about you. I, when I was a kid, I was taught that you are what you eat. 
while there's much truth to this, I do not have anywhere on my body the Dairy Queen logo. And I have eaten lots of Dairy Queen. Yesterday I made a tragic mistake and I ate from Taco Bell. And this neither makes me Mexican nor a taco. Having said that, if your appetite is for godly things, our King will give you godly things. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God is going to fill you with something. What He fills you with, whether manna, heavenly bread, or quail, the object of cursing because the people craved something else. He will give you what you want to the extent that is greater than you wanted it. You know, manna was a great thing until they had eaten it for 40 years and then they were kind of sick of it. That says something about them because manna never changed. They did. They craved quail and he gave them so much that they died while eating it and it came out their nose. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, he will give you all the righteousness you can handle. If you hunger and thirst for deception, no, no, stop telling me I'm great. Stop it. Stop it. Why do you keep doing that? Don't lift me up. Don't lift me up. Don't do it. Don't do it. We're all humble. Look how low I am. Don't praise me. Do you think I sing well? Do you think I speak well? Do you like my suit? Stop praising me. If you want deception, he will give you so much that you have become deceived. Thessalonians actually says he will send a great delusion upon the world so that those who refuse to love the truth and be saved would perish. I want you to understand it may not fit neatly into your Haley's Bible handbook, but God says he would send a delusion. Read the end of Kings. You will find out that it's not the first time he has done it. Anybody know how Jeroboam died? That's another message. God humbles us in order to make us hungry for something. And then what does he do? It says that he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He humbles you so that you will become hungry, and then he begins to feed you. And what he feeds you is something that you could not have known. Manna means, what is it? What is it? What's that? What that is? Uh, Matt's giving me the Louisiana translation. What's that? Because if it truly came from God and did not originate from your mind, it is foreign to you and you were foreign to it. And friends, I want you to understand, this is the only way the gospel works in a person's life. God introduces something to you that is outside of you, that is foreign to your ways. As the Word says, His ways are not your ways. But what have your ways gotten you? What has your appetite gotten you? Doesn't the Word say better a little with the righteous, young people, than much gain with injustice? I would rather spend time with my king, with justice, and seem to gain nothing then gain the entire world and lose my soul in the process. And friends, I want you to understand you lose your soul a long time before you go to hell. 
There's a human being that recently passed. And he craved a different image so badly that most of his body became plastic. And in craving something other than what he really was, he became an object of ridicule and scorn. This is what the devil always does. He tells you you are not good enough. That God's design for you is not adequate. So that you crave something other than what God wants for you and he makes you an object of ridicule and scorn. How many women have given themselves for love and simply been used to the point where there was nothing left to give? Objects of ridicule and scorn. It happens all of the time. We need to get wise to it. Our God humbles us for one reason. He wants to create in us a hunger for Him. He wants us to hunger for His teaching so that He can show us something that we had never known. Something that the Word says, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding than silver. Did you hear that, CJ? The Word of God is much better wisdom than gold. To choose it is better than silver. The Word of God is what we need. It's what we need to hunger for. When you first got born again, did you read the Word? If you didn't, you missed out. At some point, we reach a place where it seems like our hunger is kind of satisfied. Eh, I'm good. You know, I know that. Somebody begins to preach and you say, I'm familiar with that subject. Right? Righteousness? Oh, yeah, I got it down. End times? No problem. You know, in fact, yeah, all of you are stupid if you don't agree with me. Put a bumper sticker on your car that says so. You know. The people of God reach a dangerous place when we become satisfied. Because the very teaching that we have received, we are humbled so that we will begin to hunger. We begin to hunger so that God can feed us. And when He does this, He is teaching us something. That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This kind of teaching is supposed supposed to teach us dependence upon Him, not independence from Him. The problem is, once you eat that Snickers bar, you are satisfied, correct? It's good for a little while, a few minutes, maybe 30 or 40 seconds. But at some point, what happens to all men who eat? They get hungry again. So God used something that was in our life, something that you needed to sustain your life. If you think you don't need to eat, let's test that theory for a while. He used something that you needed to sustain your life to teach you. You don't depend upon this to sustain your life. The real thing that sustains your life on a perpetual, ongoing, hungering, satisfy my appetite, Lord type basis is the Word. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. But what happens when the people begin to forget because their hunger was satisfied? Come on, I know some of you have been with me. Some of you that went to Mexico, right? We went to El Norteña. Y'all remember what that is? El Norteña was the fajita joint we went to. And uh, we were urged to order half plates of fajita steak. But we didn't do that. No, because we never do anything halfway. We're wholeheartedly committed. 
So I ordered the entire fajita steak. And I was fooled a few bites in, but I didn't stop there, right? I pushed it all the way until I'd eaten every bite. I pushed myself back from the table and said, I'm never going to eat again. And that lasted about two and a half hours. (laughs) Where is our appetite for the Word of God? It is not possible for you to eat enough on Wednesday and Sunday. It never has been. It never will be. It's not enough for you to have a quiet time in the morning. It is not enough. You know, when we talk about the bare minimum, that would be like changing your oil once a decade. I mean, it, it is such a ridiculous concept to think in 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, you can get what you need. That is a ridiculous joke. You talk about watering it down to the bare minimum. When the Jewish rabbis prayed, they taught that it took an hour just to block out the rest of the world so you could properly focus on God. We say we don't have time. We buy planners to manage our time better. We prioritize our time. We talk about it. We put post-it notes everywhere. We do everything except stop to pray and read. When is the last time you spent two hours in prayer and were disappointed with the results? Several times this week I've got on my face right here in this church and prayed. Now I want to tell you I prayed because I did not know what to do sitting in a situation that I do not know how to fix. And he showed me. I have never been disappointed with the investment of time in prayer. I was recently at a prayer meeting where men speak many languages. And they also pray in other tongues. Some the tongues of angels, some the tongues of men. I have the best testimony that I have had in years. And I'm unable to share it all with you. But I want to tell you that the very things that I had been saying in my heart, the actual words that I spoke only to God in my car when I prayed in the prayer meeting and I thought I was praying in other tongues, I happened to be praying next to a man that it was his native tongue. So not realizing what I had said in my car and what was going on, he began to speak to me and he says, tell me, for two hours you have been speaking about this and this and this. What is going on? I called somebody a donkey in my thoughts to God. I said, Lord, they're stubborn. They're acting like a donkey. And for two hours this man said that I was speaking in his known language saying, Lord, open the donkey's mouth that it may praise you. Lord, open the donkey's mouth that it may praise you. Let the donkey praise you. He said, please, for two hours, what is going on with the donkey? (laughs) And I couldn't even tell him because I knew exactly what it meant. Our king will meet your every need and I want you to understand, like Proverbs says, he weighs the motives behind your thoughts. See, young people, if you're studying the Proverbs every day, these ought to sound familiar. And parents, I know you have been teaching them too, because you're good parents, right? And none of us want to have bad children. We want to impress the Word upon them. Our God humbles us and 
causes us to hunger. He humbles us so that we will hunger so that he can meet that need. And this process of getting hungry, having a need before him and him meeting that need teaches us to rely upon him. It teaches us dependence on the Lord. It's what we call lordship. If you were never hungry and he never met that need, then he would not be your Lord. He would just be like what the Indians in India worship. Another God on the mantle. You know, just another pretty knickknack. But because he creates in you real need that he can meet, he shows himself to be very personal to you. He cares very much. There is a problem that is raised in Deuteronomy. As much as there are five things that God does to teach you lordship, he humbles you, he causes you to hunger, he feeds you, he teaches you so that you will become dependent upon him. There's a five steps in the opposite direction. I hate the number of things. I didn't get it out of a pastor's book. I got it out of my prayer time this morning. So you won't find it for sale somewhere. We're going to give it to you for free. Verse 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Our King has good plans for us. A land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys in the hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce for you and you will lack nothing. A land where rocks are and where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. You know, ancient Jews did not pray before the food, before a meal. They did not say, Lord, bless this meal to the nourishment of my body. They didn't say, Lord, bless this meal because it's dirty and needs to be cleaned by you. If they prayed before the meal, they gave thanks that God had brought wine from grapes and bread from the ground. They thanked Him for provision. They saw food as clean... Because the earth was good and was God's. It had problems that God was renovating, but the earth was good. It was a Greek concept that said if you don't pray over it, you'll get sick. It's all inherently dirty. Everything of the flesh is dirty. It's bad. Let's get off the world out of the planet. That was all Greek thought. Did not exist anywhere in Judaism. So he says when you eat and are satisfied... Give thanks. But let me tell you something. When you eat at 8 a.m. and you give thanks for satisfying you, what should be happening around noon? A deep grumbling from within you should remind you it is time to eat again. Saints, where is the groaning of the Holy Spirit? Where is your hunger that says, yes, you ate and it was good this morning and during your quiet time. But now it's noon. Do you know Daniel could not be stopped from doing this? They threatened to kill him, and he said, That's good, strike me down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could not be stopped from doing this. They could not be stopped. Thrown in a furnace and could not be stopped. What's happened to us that stops us? Well, I just don't have time. Well, you found time to stop at Taco Bell, didn't you? know what I'll do, Lord. I'll, I'll be really holy. I'll fast. He doesn't care whether you eat or not. Your lack of food intake, your hunger strike before him, it doesn't impress him. 
Al Sharpton does that to get companies to do what he wants them to do. But God can't be manipulated. So what, what kind of fast does he want? Read Isaiah 58. He wants you to care more about somebody else than yourself. Because you've been swimming in a word than it says to. That's what he wants. When you eat and are satisfied, what happens then? That becomes the question. Do you stay satisfied? Lord, I am so hungry. You have humbled me. You put me in this jail cell. I'm humbled. I'm hungry for your will, even though it's something I've never done. I've been a devil all my life, but I'm willing to be righteous. If you let me out of here, mighty God, I will serve you. I will serve you. I will serve you. I'm out. Hunger satisfied. How long does it take you to slip back into your jail-like life? Say, well, those are those people that are in jail. Really? You weren't in jail? Your pride didn't enslave you? You find yourself doing the very things you promised you would never do? How about this? How about God forgave you? He showed you mercy. Then somebody commits one wrong against you. And your relationship with them is forever changed. I used to love you. Now I love you. But it's just going to be from an extreme distance. It's not really love. But we're going to call it that as we're supposed to. You ever hate somebody but swear to your friends that you've forgiven them? How about your daddy? Well, I hear that one a lot. I hear that one a lot. I've forgiven him. I just, you know, hope he dies. Sounds like forgiveness. I've forgiven him. I just don't want to be around him. Well, that's possible. Especially if they're not in the body of Christ. Maybe he's a hurtful, vengeful person that would do harm to you or your family. What about those people that are not hurtful, vengeful people that would do harm to you or your family? You just don't like the way they acted, so you ostracize them. What if Jesus did that to you? See, when you get satisfied, you forget what it's like to really be hungry, to really be in need. When you've gotten what you needed, in a really honest moment, a man told me one time, I gets mine. Took me a while to figure out what he was talking about, but he meant he put himself first. Mm. I get minds. I wish everybody else was quite as honest. The Bible is not about getting yours. Mm. It's about giving them what they need. Whoever they may be. Who is my neighbor, Lord? Mm. Go read that parable again with eyes to see. Mm. Put yourself in those shoes. When's the last time you put your life at risk for someone else? When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget. When you're satisfied, you have a tendency to forget. You're kidding. The entire Rocky franchise, all of those movies, is based on this concept. He is hungry. He is hungry. He is hungry. He's hungry. And they called it the eye of the... Yeah. But when he became champion, what happened? This story is as old as the Bible itself. What happened to David when he rose to be the king of his world? What happened? He returned to things that he had long since defeated because he was satisfied and didn't feel the need to go off to war. Friends, our God satisfies us with good things, but he wants to do it again and again and again. Proverbs tell us the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully 
satisfied. What does it mean to be diligent, though? Does diligent mean that you did it once a year ago and you worked really hard and now you got it? Or does diligent mean that it has become a lifetime practice? That you're in a cycle of God humbling you in order to make you hungry so that He can feed you and you learn dependence upon Him, but you've become diligent in that process. Every time you bump your head against a wall, you are humble enough to say, Lord, where's the manna? Where's the way that I just didn't know about? Because this one seems to be leading me into destruction. It's burst out of my own life. I need Your way. I need Your Word. Lord, I depend upon You more than I do my own arm. Lord, I trust You in this situation. Help me. The problems with committing your plans to the Lord so that whatever you do succeeds, the problem with that is that we think we take our plans and give them to God and then it works. The verse presumes, presumes that your plans are born of God and that you're committing the way you carry them out to Him. By the way, parents, are you understanding how in the course of regular conversation you can quote literally 30 Proverbs and teach your children about them? What is the speech like in your house? What are your children learning from the way that you talk? Because they're going to reflect you. All children do. All children do. That's why the proverb says that a disgraceful son disgraces his mama. So why does the dad get a free pass? He doesn't. He doesn't. But mama spends the most time with them when they're little. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees I am giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, wouldn't you think this would be the height of your relationship with God? Lord, you've done for me everything that I ever wanted. Mighty God, you are awesome. Everything that I ever needed, you provided. You are Yahweh Yireh. You are the God of provision. I can't help but tell everybody. Wouldn't you think that's what would happen? He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. But what happens when we forget life-giving rebukes? What happens when all of our blessing has caused us to think, I don't have any need. Lord, why do you do miracles on the mission field? Have you ever been to any place that you saw a greater need than Haiti? Parts of Africa? Parts of Mexico? The worst thought I ever had in my life was I one time spent $3,800 on a vacation that involved uh, three families. And 45 minutes from our vacation spot, our week-long three-family vacation was the worst hunger I'd ever seen in my life and I didn't know it. I've not been able to go back since. Mm -hmm. As soon as I became aware of that, I could not go back. Our God humbles us so that we will hunger for the right things. He will give you an appetite that drives you towards what is good. He does this to teach you dependence upon Him. Forget, because you built big houses. Verse 16. 
He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. There is no command of God that was meant to be a noose around your neck. I don't care what you have heard people say. God never gave people commands hoping they would fail. He gave them commands that were intended to bring them life. It's our sinful nature that causes us to fail. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced wealth for me. Why would you do that? Because it had been such a long time since you were hungry and he met your need. You forgot what it was like. And I mean, after all, when you needed the Red Sea split, it was your hand that was stretched out. When you needed water out of the rock, it was you who struck the rock. After all, didn't you do those things? Isn't it interesting how deceitful a heart can be? But the Lord tears down a proud man's house. He keeps the boundaries of the widows intact. Our king, when he sees that kind of pride, whether you're his or not, must tear down your house so that he can rebuild you rightly. Mm -hmm. That's how it must be done. By the way, young people, I probably should have told you, we are trying to train you not to look for the minimum. See, because I told you if you got five scriptures, I would give you a Snickers. What I didn't tell you is I would take you to Ruth Chris for a steak if you got them all. And the reason that I didn't do that is because so many of us have been taught to look for the minimum in life. Mm. Lord, what do I have to do to be saved? I don't really want to do it. Better, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to be the champion I was really called to be. That makes me want to vomit. Thanks. Young people, don't you want to strive for the Lord with all your heart? Yeah. Deception is powerful. The tongue that brings healing is the tree of life. But a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. You need to understand that when Proverbs says that, it's not simply speaking about you lying. It's speaking about a lie that you receive crushes your spirit. When you allow the devil to trick you and say, Oh, the first x-ray was really just kind of a mistake, you know. And, and the second x-ray was a mistake too. But the third one was the first time they did the x-rays right. It wasn't really a healing. It was just kind of an error. It begins to crush your spirit. Every time my sister has gone back for a test, every time the devil has been right there in my ear saying, it's come back. It's come back. I told her to take her results let us frame them. And let's write, all things are possible for him who believes because I have a sinful and unbelieving heart that tries to turn away. That was a psalm, by the way, young people, not a proverb. I don't want you to miss out. We have to be reminded constantly of the good things that God has done. The devil uses your satisfaction to cause you to forget. And once you have forgotten, the void that is there is filled 
with pride and it paves the way for deception. So that what they started all fat and full, now all of the sudden they've begun to question, well, was it really God or what? Was it kind of me that did that? And what follows deception is always destruction. Look at verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Destroyed. He humbles you so that you'll get hungry. He causes you to get hungry so He can feed you. This process teaches you to depend upon the Lord. That is the life that is found in Deuteronomy 8. The death that is found in Deuteronomy 8 is the danger comes not when you're hungry, it comes when you are satisfied. And when you are satisfied, it is possible to forget. And when you forget, it is possible to become proud. And once you are proud, it opens the door for deception. And deception always ends in destruction. Stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. He who hates correction will die. Stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. He who hates correction will die. Why do we act like those words were written for someone else? You know, when I became a Christian, I threw away even clothes that reminded me of the old life. There may have been absolutely nothing wrong with them. But back then, I spent an awful lot of time working on my body. So if part of it showed more of my body than I thought was warranted... I threw it away. Matthew did the same thing. We were so zealous that we went to other people's house and went through their things and threw them away. In your zeal, don't come to my house. I watched a grown man cry like a child because I poured out wine that his family had been saving I don't know how long. Watched him cry. Now, maybe it was an idol in his life, and maybe I could justify it that way. But the truth is, it was probably just stupid, youthful zeal. Because today, you might find a bottle of wine somewhere in my house. The Word is about becoming hungry for God so that He can fill you and teaching you to become dependent. Not building around yourself structures, rules, rituals that say, Ah, look, I'm really, we're good. We're good. Look at us. We're good. We're dressed right. We act right. We've conquered all of our enemies. Look, we're good. It is the satisfied that should be scared, not the hungry. This is why Jesus hung around with whores, tax collectors, fishermen. But the righteous in their own eyes who were satisfied, he called things like snakes, vipers, saints. We need to learn that lesson. Turn with me to John 4. Young people, if you were counting, there are 12 proverbs that will get you a ticket to steak and lobster. All of them come from Proverbs 15, Proverbs 16, and there is a bonus that was found in Proverbs 13 if you look for it. Or you could just settle for a Snickers bar. It will satisfy you for a little while. Y'all in John 4? Yeah. 
Parents, my goal is not to shame you. I'm faced every day with the fact that I do not do a good job. I teach you more than I teach my children. But I do want to tell you that what I am in front of you in this pulpit, I am also in the privacy of my own home. There is not a public Eric and a private Eric, nor is there a public and private Jennifer. We are what we are here, and our children see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And while my kids certainly have some growth, I'm very proud of them because they have been taught to revere the God of the universe. And my 8-year-old and my 12-year-old will pray for you. I really believe that if you were possessed, they could cast it out without a problem. Our goal is to impress upon our children the Word of God, not as vicious dictators that are punishing them. Although I have made my children write the Word, I have spanked them for not keeping up with their homework. I've done everything that is imaginable and will continue to do everything imaginable because the reason I was put on this planet first and foremost was to teach my children to obey the Lord. And what I do in my home flows out of our home and out of our family life into your lives and this is what is called ministry. This is why when choosing a pastor, when choosing an elder, when choosing a deacon, no matter what the ministry position was, it started with requirements within the home. So if you've been part of a pastoral selection committee, I feel sorry for you. But if you have been, and you examined a man's resume, and you look to see whether or not he increased offering, and how successfully he handled building programs, if there was an approval survey, and that is how a pastor was selected, to be carnally minded is death. All of those things are good. I hope I hope I do all of those things. Handle our building projects well. I hope tithe continues to grow in here because that means obedience is growing. And I hope that you are happy with your lives here. But if that's how a pastor is selected, he could be Mormon and fit the bill. He could be a Jehovah's Witness and fit the bill. He could be a non-believer and speak well and fit the bill. No, that could never happen. Couldn't it? Couldn't it? Of course it could. Of course it could. Are y'all in John 4? Yeah. Look at verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. I mean, this is a normal fact. Jesus got tired. He got hungry. He got all of those things. Do you believe that Jesus got hungry? Yes. In fact, he one time fasted for how long? Forty days. Forty days. When did Jesus' public ministry start? When the word says he was very hungry. Because people learn when you are hungry and God meets your need, they see it. They see that you were at the end of your human abilities and God showed up. And what did Jesus teach people? He taught them what the Lord was doing in his life. Liberating the oppressed. Preaching freedom to the captive. Light to those who are in darkness. If you had not eaten for 40 days and were in the desert... With wild animals, could you feel a little bit oppressed? So Jesus was never oppressed, really. In the garden, he was not oppressed. We act like he, uh, he, he had no problems. We act like it was not hard for him. Do you really think it didn't hurt when they hit him? Do you think when his closest friends turned their back 
it didn't hurt him. But when squished and pressed, when he was in a place that the Jews called the olive press, what came out of him was not my will but yours because he had learned to hunger for God's will. Hebrews actually says he learned obedience through what he suffered. Learned it, proved it through what he suffered. In John 4, verse 31, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? I love these guys because they're as dumb as I am. They really are. They're just regular, everyday, average schmoes. And they've been hanging out with him and they don't understand him. It's okay. I've been hanging out with him 16 years and I don't understand him. That is the meaning of manna. What is it? Lord, I don't get it. If you're not experiencing that, you put God in too small of a box. If he only moves in the ways that you think that he can. If he only says what you expected him to say, you've made God pretty small. Or you've made yourself very big. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest, the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Our king lived for the will of God. Throughout John, food is used to symbolize the word and will of God. It begins with Jesus, this is actually in the Synoptic Gospel, saying man does not live on bread alone, but he lives on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is where his ministry starts. Then by the time you get to John 4, not in the Synoptic Gospels, but in John 4, he is looking at those others would not look at because he is looking for life-sustaining will of God. And he witnesses to this Samaritan woman and finds out, he tells her plainly, he's the Christ. By the time we get to John 5 and 6, we are feeding thousands of people for no other reason than to test the apostles to see whether they understand, whether they're getting the message. It's not about your resources. It's not about your need to eat. I'm trying to teach you to feed upon God's will, to yearn for him, to look for the way where there was no way, the way that we call manna. What is it, Lord? And in this, they would learn to rely upon him. When asked how to pray, Matthew recorded these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. In John 6, Jesus calls himself bread. I come from Catholicville. A place completely dominated by the darkness of Rome. And because of that, they literally practice something that would sound like cannibalism to any right-thinking person. What Jesus is wanting you to do is long for him the only thing that will really satisfy. Like you long for the next meal. And if you're like me, and you eat five small Okay, maybe medium to large meals a day. You ought to be longing for Him. Don't tell me you long for Him if it does not show up in your actions. You're lying to yourself. 
Any man that says he has fellowship with the Father and walks in darkness lies and does not practice the truth, whether it's you, me, or anyone else. Let it show up in your actions and then see if your hunger doesn't grow. My prayer life had become somewhat stable. I pray everywhere I go, but I was not stopping what I was doing to pray. Does that make sense? I pray in the car. I pray between sales calls. I pray between meetings. But there was just a lot going on in my life where I did not stop as if the king of the universe and I were having a private conversation. I talked to him like I talked to my wife in the car while we're doing everything else. And lately he has been drawing me to a place I shut out everything but Him. And I just focus on Him and it is feeding my very soul. But now the goal becomes do not be satisfied. Come further. Drink more deeply. Eat more fully. I have more for you. The reason I believe He's doing this is because there is a drought and a famine of hearing His Word that is coming. And I believe those who have stored up good things in them will have good things to give. And those that have simply wanted to do what was popular, what would build bigger crowds, what would do all of those things that I have often picked on, I have often spoken about, I think they will be found woefully short. There are some things that cannot be faked, saints. And when you have to persevere under adversity, what you have put in you will come out. I have lived to see people that I thought were great men of God because I didn't know any better, put in difficult situations, and act exactly like imbeciles. I have lived long enough to see that. And I have seen others that were humble, contrite, hid the word in their heart every day I never particularly esteemed, put in impossible situations, and display the character of God. There is a fire coming that will reveal the quality of each man's work. And I am encouraging you to build now with precious stones. Because the character of your work will be shown for what it is. There is no question. We will continue to do whatever we can possibly think of. Whether it's give away Snickers. Or scold parents or meet with our youth leaders. We will do whatever we can to raise up disciples. My new goal is no longer to have people that attend our church. That has never really been my goal, but I'm making a distinction today. I want people who will literally follow me as I follow Christ. I want people who will hold to the teachings that I gave them just as they were passed on to them. To do that, you must do more than attend church. You must actually learn the messages that are being taught. Which means next week, you should be able to tell me what Deuteronomy 8 means at least in one sense. Of course you'll get your own revelation. Of course you'll dig deeper. You'll see the other 69 sides of that 70-sided stone. But your first and primary obligation is to learn what you're being taught or you have no business here. We could use your seat my whole heart and aim of my life will be the aim of this Torah. That you find life and that it might go well with you. And we will rejoice together. I want to praise you in this regard. I have watched some of you come into this building 
with slightly ulterior motives. Right? You're here because somebody else is here. You're here because you were invited. You're here because you like the worship. You were here because of this or that. But I have seen hunger growing. And I have seen hunger growing. And other people, when they interact with us and interact with our church, all say the same things. These South Africans I met with last night said the same things. The last guest that I met with, they are all excited about what God is doing here. But don't you dare become satisfied because that's where the danger is. I want to go higher, deeper, further. I want to grasp how deep, long, and wide is the love of Christ. Amen. Who will go with me? Now stand to your feet. Humble so that you will get hungry, so that God can feed you, so that He can begin to teach you dependence. Never become satisfied so that you forget and become proud. It paves the way for deception and destruction. If you learn nothing else, you can find that from Deuteronomy 8. If you take the 15th and 16th chapter of Proverbs, you can teach the exact same message with just proverb quotes. In fact, I bet you could get that message out of almost any couple chapters that you looked at in the Bible if you look deeply. Because our God is teaching us all of the time to depend upon Him. And it all revolves around throwing away self-reliance, pride, casting off deception, and relying upon His Word as the guide for our lives. It's been going on since Eden, and it continues here this day. Your real goal should be to determine how that relates to your life today and tomorrow. Mighty God, Lord, we do love you. Holy, holy one. Lord, we are asking that you would increase the hunger in this place. Lord, that the status quo would not be good enough anymore. Holy one, that we would become restless with a hunger for you. Jesus, like teenagers in love that cannot get off the phone, we are praying that you would put us on our knees before you. And Lord, that you would meet with us quickly because we are fickle. But if you'll encourage us, mighty God, we will learn to love you and to spend time with you. Lord, we will learn to cast aside our distractions. We will learn to live in your presence and walk as you walk. We love you, Jesus. We're just spoiled and we don't know any better. But we love you and we don't want to be. We don't want to be outshined by Christians in another country. We don't want to miss out on your blessings here. Lord, we want to glory in your presence. We want to be the apple of your eye. We want to strive for that which is holy and press on towards the goal. In the name of Jesus, we ask that you would work with great effect in our lives. Amen. 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 Amen.